Thanks for taking the time to listen to our latest content here on the Blood Red channel. Guy here with just a quick message. Do you want the very latest Liverpool FC news directly into your inbox? Well then sign up to our daily LFC newsletter, which will bring you the breaking news and big events from around Anfield. To subscribe, just go to bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash LFC newsletter. Or click the link in the description of this podcast and pop in your email address. It really is that simple. That link once more bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. Well, thanks for your time and on with the podcast. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, a bank holiday Friday special for you. And we pulled out all the stops with those joining myself, Guy Clark, to talk about the latest news around the Reds. We're going to get into Melwood partially reopening with the Bundesliga set to go back next week. We're going to look at what players Liverpool may well be keeping an eye on, as well as marking some important anniversaries in the calendar for the Reds through the years. I'm Guy Clark and alongside me, uh, Liverpool correspondent Paul Gorst. Gorsty, how are you? Not bad, Guy. Getting on for, what, two months now in the lockdown. Still surviving. Hair's grown a little bit. Um, other than that, we're, uh, we're, we're cracking on. You've not been tempted to take similar measures as I have and just shave it all off? No, I'm not, not too sure how, how I'd look. I don't think I'd look as distinguished as you, so I'm staying clear of it for now. Well, a man who certainly pulls off the look is Dan Kay. Dan, how are you? Well, yeah, nature gave me a bit of a head start on you, boys. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm all right, mate, yeah. Trying not to think too much about how this was should have been the weekend that Liverpool received the league title. Uh, but the sun's shining, it's a bank holiday, and I'm not working over the weekend, so things could be worse. It certainly could. And Theo Squires, for those watching on YouTube, has decided to uh, change where he is, and he's also had a shave. Theo, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Had a, a week off, I was supposed to be on holiday. Obviously, that's not happened. So, day five of that, I got rather bored and decided to change rooms. Uh, change looks and now back in the office well virtual office for a couple of days getting used to new surroundings yeah you're giving yourself a little holiday of your own a good idea of just mixing it up and changing it up a bit anyway lads let's get into the uh, the football talk that's what everyone's here for and Gorsty comes straight to you to fill us in on a story that you you wrote up on Thursday evening about Liverpool taking the decision to reopen Melwood well partially because obviously the Premier League bracing and waiting in anticipation to hopefully return to action before too long. Yeah, so we wrote the story a few weeks back that staff had been told that as soon as the lockdown was up and if restrictions weren't extended or they were eased, then Liverpool were, were primed to, to head back to Melbourne as soon as possible. Um, so ahead of that, what we're expecting to be some sort of easing of the restrictions on Sunday with Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Liverpool have actually reopened Melbourne partially. So it's... Um, it's three pitches, a uh, maximum of three players uh, at a time allowed in. Um, the actual facilities to Melbourne itself aren't open, so they're only permitted to use the pitches to go in. Basically, they've got a pitch to themselves for an hour or so, so they can do a bit of running, a bit of stretching, a bit of ball work, uh, but it's all kind of done on their own. Um, and not not everyone's taken up the, the, the opportunity to do that. A lot of Jürgen Klopp's players have, have stayed at home, continuing on with their own individual programmes, but... The offer is there for anyone willing to do it, and it's it's open uh, a couple of days a week at the moment with a view to, to reopening it permanently 
even when the, the lockdown uh, restrictions are eased. Um, and I, I was told quite recently that Klopp has basically just told his players that there's not a lot that they can do to affect the situation. So the only thing they can do is just to make sure that they stay as close to 100% match fit as they can, even when football does resume. So that's pretty much the, the thinking of the squad at the moment. Morale is meant to be uh, still quite high. They understand that you know this is an unprecedented situation and all they can do is keep the spirits high and um, do the business even when they're, they're permitted to do so. So Melbourne um, well, partially reopen and, and hopefully... We could even see Liverpool back in full training as of next week, but Liverpool will continue to be guided by the latest advice. I suppose, Dan, that's all they, they really can do is until the government come out of the weekend and make any announcement. We were, of course, last week sat here, you and I, on the on the Blood Red podcast talking about the Premier League, their latest meeting. We thought that this Friday we were going to have another meeting, but, of course, with the government only going to be coming out of the weekend, it looks as though Monday could be the crunch date. Yeah, Monday, we're told, is the next time that they're going to have one of these video conference meetings between representatives of all 20 Premier League clubs. And obviously, what I think what transpires on Monday will be largely informed by what happens on Sunday when uh, we get uh, some more guidance from Downing Street as to, as to the next stages ahead. But I think I think a lot of supporters will have been pleased to hear the news when it broke yesterday that, you know, there has been a, you know, a slight partial reopening of, of Melwood. It feels like a small little tentative step in the right direction. As Gorsley said, I think you know, Jurgen Klopp and everybody involved with the club are very realistic about where we are, what can be done. But I think even just in terms of their own spirits, the players who are involved in this, it probably will do them good, just as much as any for a change of scenery. Like you know, just, yeah, they've all... <laughs> well, exactly. We, 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 we can all relate. Um yeah, you know, they, they. I'm sure they will all have been doing, um, you know, exercises or various training bits every day since this has happened. But in their own environment, you know, near where they live, so to actually just be able to get in your car and drive to Melwood and train somewhere different and and see some of their mates, even if I'm, you know, I'm sure they are socially distancing and all the rest of it. I think, it, yeah, it, it feels like a positive step, but you know, it has obviously all very much has to be couched with the same kind of caution that we've all got to, that, that we're all living under at the moment. And, you know, we, we may find hopefully over the next couple of days, a little bit more light shed on what the, the next chapter of this is going to look like. Theo, what are your thoughts? Because obviously we're getting on now 13th of March, the date that Melwood was closed due to the situation at hand. And well, we're obviously almost two months on from that. Um, it's a positive step. Uh, I can see why they've needed to do it, just so things are moving along. And I think you, if you look at, say, South Korea today, their league finally getting underway. Uh, the Bundesliga about to resume next week. The league are making first steps. Turkey have made the first steps. There's that envy there, isn't there, that England hasn't made a decision yet. It's all still up in the air. And the fact that Liverpool are looking at returning to training now, it's almost that relief that we are probably going to see this league get back underway and Liverpool are in not too long time get a chance to clinch the Premier League. It's all about getting back to your familiar surroundings. Like If you're getting your mindset right on training, matches and that, you want to be in your office, don't you? I think we can all relate here. Just working at home after so long, it doesn't feel the same as in your normal surroundings and it just seems a positive step in the right direction. Whether we'll be able to say the Premier League can resume two weeks afterwards because I think Germany, their, their teams only went back into training last week and now two weeks down the line, they're looking to resume. It's a bit early to say, but it's all going the right way and hopefully we'll be able to see we'll be reporting on football again 
before too long. Yeah, on that home comforts point, I've been strolling around in shorts for the last two weeks and I'm sure that people in the office won't want to see my legs when we all do get back to it. But <laughs> of course, the, as Dan said right at the top, this was going to be the weekend that Liverpool, of course, got their hands on the title. So whilst this is obviously a good news, I suppose for supporters, there is still that feeling of, well, what should have been? Yeah, undoubtedly, it's funny because around about an hour or so, I had text one of my mates and I said, this should have been the weekend that Liverpool were going to be crowned Premier League champions. Bank holiday weekend, the sun's cracking the flags. It would have been the biggest biggest night of, of, of anyone's lives, you know, any Liverpool fans' lives for at least, well, 30 years. It's a generation's worth of, of football fans, isn't it? So it's um, it, it's a real shame that that hasn't ha- uh, happened, but um, Liverpool have just got to deal with the situation at hand. And it was interesting to hear Klopp a couple of weeks back on, on Sky Sports when he said he's got no time for problems, only solutions. So... He knows that he can't overly impact the situation in terms of the Premier League talks and, and what, what's going on behind the scenes there. He just has control over how his players are acting and reacting to, to the situation and, and the events at hand. So he's, he'll be keeping them um, as fit as they can be and, and ready to go even when football does return. But I actually think that Monday could be quite a big day because the Premier League due to meet, we've heard for quite a while now that June the 8th is this tentative um, date in the diary for when football may return in this country. Um, if there are some easing of the restrictions on Sunday from the Prime Minister, Liverpool could feasibly be back in training on Monday. So if they are back in training, seeing, seeing those big names back at Melwood, on top of the news that football has taken a big step forward in its eventual return, I think this could be almost like a watershed date for, for the situation that we've all lived through for the past two months. And on that point, Dan, I suppose... Looking at the calendar today, the 8th of May, so whilst yesterday was, or this weekend was meant to be the weekend that Liverpool got their hands on that Premier League title, in a month's time, who knows? Football could be back. Football could be back, Liverpool could, the, the trophy could be maybe not necessarily in the cabinet, but it could be confirmed and, and Liverpool could be celebrating by then. Only occurred to me this morning, actually, with it, you know, the reason today is quite unusual, it's a bank holiday on, on a Friday, is because it's VE. Day, victory in Europe Day, um, 70 years? Was it 80? 75. 75, sorry, maths is terrible. Since, obviously, the end of the war in 1945. And it just occurred to me that there's an... You know, I'm, I'm of an age, early 40s, when you know, most of my adolescence and adult life has been fixated on dreaming of Liverpool winning the, champion, winning the league. And many times, when, when you know, with mates or whatever, we've talked about what, what will it be like? And even if right, I'm a bit older than you, I'm not that old, I don't remember the... V day or V night <laughs> firsthand, but but I've heard stories from family and you know what it was like to live through. And I remember I can remember using the phrase a few times. God, when we do, when it it'll be like what V night must have been. And it only just occurred to me that it actually could and should have been. It, it, it you know obviously the, the the Chelsea fixture has been scheduled for this weekend for months and months, and it would have been it would have been V weekend. So it's one of those kind of bittersweet ironies that life and football throws up periodically. Um, but yeah, as as you say, it, it does feel like there is some kind of light at the end of the tunnel now. But I think we all have to be very, very wary. I, mean, I think we've all seen, and I think the Echoes ran a story on news today that kind of like some of the park. I live quite near Sefton Park, and some of the parks are already looking way, way fuller this week than what they have last week. And obviously, this has been a huge burden on everybody involved, and no one's trying to lessen that. But there is, you know, there is a concern that if if 
don't just throw away all the, all the hard work and good work of the last two weeks and think that life's just going to get back to normal on Monday because it isn't. Because the danger is if it does, then we're back to square one and there's a, a longer and even possibly worse lockdown. But I think we're all aware that when football returns, it is going to be behind closed doors initially. It is going to be in this you know, biosecure environment. So hopefully common sense and, and will prevail. And, you know, sooner rather than later, we'll have some actual football to report and talk about rather than just uh, coming up with unusual topics and funny anniversaries. Yes, yeah, certainly. Well, one league that are more than almost preparing to, to get back to action and will be getting their boots on the grass and getting out there and playing, albeit in front of en- empty stadiums next weekend, Theo, is the Bundesliga. And it's a division that actually, for Liverpool fans, I've seen a fair bit on social media the last few days saying about how, oh, everyone's going to become fixated with Bundesliga football. Everybody's going to become a German football expert. But actually, for Liverpool fans... It's good reason to pay it close attention. Yeah, for however long, it's well over a year, isn't it? We've seen Liverpool link with Timo Werner, Kai Havertz in the last couple of months, uh, Milo Rashikir as well. And now, for the first time, Liverpool fans, rather than just talking about them, can actually watch these players in action and see what they're really about. Um, and then, obviously, of course, you've got Marco Gruwich, he's on loan in the Bundesliga. Nat Phillips, he's on loan in the, the second division in Germany. So there's these added elements there of interest that Liverpool fans can watch and see whether the players are worth the hype of what they've heard about this last time. It's funny to think Marco Gruich has been, he was Jurgen Klopp's first signing. And apart from a handful of substitute appearances, Liverpool fans haven't really seen him in action at all. Heard uh, reports that he's done well in Germany, but this has been a, a poor year really for Hertha Berlin. Um, they had a very busy transfer window, I believe, but then Jurgen Klinsmann quit. They've been in the relegation battle, and whilst they've pulled away a little bit, it's not been the dominating performance that you'd expect of a player who can walk straight into the Liverpool team on his return. But he is getting positive reports. Um, and then we all obviously all know how much the hype has been surrounding Team Werner. Kai Havertz, I think he's a bit more of a dreamer one, isn't he? Because the reports were saying he's going to cost like 125 million euros or whatever. And then Rashikir, it's an interesting one with the talk of his release clause. If they go down being only 13 million pounds, I think most clubs would happily snap up any player for that price of that quality in the current climate. So it's uh, one where we're not only hungry to get football back, we can actually get a bit of substance to it as well. Yeah, certainly one name there that Theo didn't mention, Gorsty, was that of Jadon Sancho. I have to have to mention it because every time we talk about German football or anything, people are interested in Jadon Sancho and the like. But obviously that deal doesn't look like it's viable for Liverpool but Liverpool right now. But I suppose for someone like Marco Gruich, this is a brilliant opportunity to actually show what he can do. Yeah, I suppose it is. Gruich is a weird one, isn't he? Because he was, he was Jürgen Klopp's first signing as manager way back in January 2016. Here we are now, May 2020, and he's only played 14 games. Um, to put that into perspective, he actually played the same amount during the half season on loan at Cardiff back in 2018. So he's someone who, who, who really hasn't kicked on as much as he would have liked and, and other, other other people at the club, I'm sure. But um, it was interesting to note that the change in Grouch's tone because I think, I think he spoke in January saying he still saw himself as a Liverpool player long-term. Um, and you know we still saw his future Anfield, and I think a couple of months back, so so that would have been maybe like two or three months later, he he admits that the, the clock is ticking on it on his chance to make an impression. I think he's different to what Ian um, Klopp's got on his other midfield options. He's somebody who's very combative. He, he's a tackler, big and strong, and he, he can pass. Um, 
you know, he's a number six, isn't he? Very similar to, to Fabinho or away, but he's not. Um, he's not like the, the creative attacking midfielder. I don't know what a lot of fans want to see come through the door, but um, I think it, it's it's going to be another case of um, a, a big big preseason for him. I think you know, by all accounts, he's done well here at the Berlin. Um, they loved him, so so they kept him on last season. Um, so he's had two seasons there, but I think uh, this summer. Liverpool do receive a, 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 a decent fee for him. I think he could be on the way or he's going to be, be given a chance in pre-season and it's up to him, but uh, the clock's ticking for, for him, I'd say, yeah. I suppose that midfield position as well, Dan, is a, is a, a complex one for Jurgen Klopp right now because, of course, we know Adam Lallana's going to be leaving at the end of the season, but everybody's been amazed by the progress of, of Curtis Jones this season and that feeling that he could kick on and be part of that first team. It's almost as though Liverpool have evolved that midfield engine room and begun to move on whilst Gruwich has been away because he's 24 years of age now. A lot of Reds fans keep an eye on Harry Wilson, who's 23, playing in the Premier League. But Gruwich, albeit contracted to Liverpool, sort of goes under the radar as one that many maybe forget about. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I think my first kind of real awareness of him, um, there was a pre-season friendly against Barcelona at Wembley, wasn't it? I think at the start of Klopp's first full season. That probably would have been August 2016. And uh, Liverpool won 4-0 and Gruwich scored a tremendous header right at the end of the game. Like his big, you know, I'm sure it was like the week before the start of the season. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, we could have a player on our hands here. And, and he's barely figured uh, for the club since. Um you know, the, the midfield is, you know, possibly has been the most talked about area of, of, of Liverpool's side over the last couple of years. And I think it's, you know, certainly over the last 12 to 18 months, it's it's really started to develop. And the, the likes of maybe the likes of Jordan Henderson, Ginny Wijnaldum and some of the other players who maybe there were some slight question marks about have, have very much proved their worth because look at the champions of Europe, champions elect of England. But obviously, you know, some of, you know the, the names I particularly mentioned there, Henderson and Wijnaldum, are, you know, certainly not finished, but are certainly, you know, towards the, certainly in the second half of their careers. I personally, I do I do feel that a new contract for Wijnaldum would be as important as any signings Liverpool could make this summer. And I, I, I really hope that that's something the club do look to action. But, you know, it, it's an absolute essential truth of football that, you, know, you cannot rest when on your laurels. You you strengthen while you're strong. You don't wait until pe- you know, people always said one of the the great keys of Liverpool's domination and success between the 70s and 80s was they had this knack of replacing players just before they got past the best. And it's a very very fine balance to strike that. So uh, yeah, there, there will be enormous attention right around Europe when, as we hope, is the case the Bundesliga does start. This time next week, I think it, it will be the Friday night, won't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, they'll get the kind of profile and attention that they could never really have dreamed of, because I think it's probably fair to say that Germany probably does play second or third or fourth fiddle to the likes of La Liga, the Premier League, Serie A, some of the more high-profile European leagues. But um, I think Liverpool supporters have a new appreciation, maybe of German football over the last three, four years, obviously because of Jurgen Klopp. Um, so we've maybe paid slightly closer attention to it in recent times. Obviously, there was a whole Mabby Cater situation where he was on loan back at Leipzig for a year. And I remember, you know, myself tuning into a couple of Leipzig games on, on TV, you know, specifically to watch him play. But um, it's a massive shot window for the likes of Werner, Sancho, Havertz, all the all these all these lads that we've mentioned. And it'll be really interesting to see how, how they perform and, and what kind of flows from that. 
The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gruitch, it's a funny timing as well, isn't it? Because you think it's almost right player at the wrong time. Like when he came through and he joined Liverpool, obviously he had that fantastic pre-season. Fans were excited about him. He scored a few goals and straight away, you're not seeing him in action. You think, well, why is that? And then he didn't, not, didn't get his opportunity. He's gone out on loan a few times. But if you think about it now, in hindsight, looking back, he was a very young player who was in a new division. Obviously, you'd have to get used to it. But since then, we've seen Jurgen Klopp give time to Andy Robertson, to Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, to Fabinho, and all these players. And fans don't batter an eyelid any, at it anymore. They trust the manager. They trust that these players need time to bed in. And Gruich, whilst he got that, there was always that added pressure on him. But now, with uh, the way the market is, maybe he could get the opportunity after all, because the reports before all this kicked off were Liverpool wanted Timo Werner. They wanted to have a big summer compared to last year. Whereas now, the, some of the reports are suggesting they'll go quiet again. They'll go for the youth approach again. But say uh, Jordan Shakiri still wants to leave, or Dejan Lovren, these players, Adam Lahn is obviously going to go. Then it could be an opportunity for a Gruwich, for a Harry Wilson to say, well, if Liverpool aren't going to go and sign someone, they've got these ready stop start like stopgap uh, players there who can take that space for a season to prove themselves and either keep the spot or then be sold in 12, 18 months' time when Liverpool are in a better position and the market's in a better position for players to move about as normal. Yeah, no, good point. And on what Dan said as well, Gorsley, just thinking of the way in which squads are, are put together, evolved and, and things like that. Marco Gruic, as we know, can play that sixth role and, and maybe in one of those shuttling midfield positions slightly more in advance, albeit not being all too much of a creative force. And you just think with the Liverpool squad, certainly if next season's going to end up being truncated and there is going to be a real quick turnover of games because of the amount of fixtures that have to be crammed in. Whilst Jordan Henderson turns 30 this summer and there's no sort of suggestion that Jordan Henderson's anywhere near over the hill. It looks as though he'll probably run away with the PFA Player of the Year award should it be uh, awarded this season. But just thinking that that extra option in that midfield, different from a Curtis Jones who wants to play sort of in that final third of the pitch, if Gruwich does show what he's made of, this could be perhaps make or break for him. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with Theo's point. Thinking Liverpool will have to kind of reevaluate their their transfer plans because let's face it, every club in the world is going to have to. They haven't had any income for the best part of two months. Um, how would it look morally if they're going out and spending upwards of 40, 50 million on players a couple of months after performing a dramatic U turn on on the furlough and of of the lowest paying members of staff? So I think there will have to be certainly some sort of rejig in the transfer window this summer and that will affect Liverpool just as much as it'll affect anyone else um, it's interesting to hear Damien Camoli Liverpool's former director of football saying this week that he expects uh, a much changed transfer market um, every team are going to be looking to kind of cut costs here and there the, the transfer fees are going to be brought way down and there might be some loan deals getting thrown into the mix so maybe Liverpool could look to the um options further afield, players who are still on their books and think maybe it's, it's better the devil, you know, and give the likes of Marco Gruwich and um, Harry Wilson in particular a, a year in the first team, around the first team squad and, and see how they get on. Because I think you're looking at someone like Jay Danchikeri now, who's barely featured all season, he's had quite a lot of injury problems. Um, I think someone like Harry Wilson, who's had an excellent season at Bournemouth, could feasibly come in and take his place in, in the in the squad next season. Adam Lallana is likely to leave as one of the um, 
most in-demand free agents because that, that's going to be another market that teams are going to be looking to use as much as they can. Uh, so if he leaves, that leaves another space open for a midfielder, someone like, as you say there, Curtis Jones, but also maybe Marco Gruwich. So um, I think this kind of chaos is an opportunity for players like that to, to show that they can at least stick around a little bit longer. Yeah, certainly be interesting with what Liverpool players out on loan might be able to do. And Marco Gruich, certainly one that the Liverpool Echo will be keeping an eye on. Another player I'm sure Dan will be having an eye kept on is Mr Timo Werner because he talks time and time again about how much he wants to come to Liverpool. I have to admit, I've not seen a great deal of him and maybe there's Liverpool fans out there who haven't either, but all of a sudden might think, actually, if the Bundesliga is starting a couple of weeks maybe best part of a month before the Premier League, might be a good chance to have a look at him. Well, I, I bet uh, Mr Herr Werner is probably delighted at uh, the way things have panned out because he's made no secret, really, of his ambition uh, and his eagerness to play for Liverpool. And his public comments have certainly reflected that in recent months. You know, It's almost reached the point where you've kind of thought, just dial it down a little bit, mate, because you're looking a bit too keen here, uh, particularly when you're, you're still playing for a team that is... Think, Leipzig are right up there in terms of the title race, aren't they, in Germany? And they they did play their second leg against yeah, Tottenham, yeah, didn't they? Tottenham, so, yeah. so, so, so they're into the quarterfinals of the Champions League. He's one of the most in-demand players in Europe. I mean, I, I can't say as I've seen an awful lot of him. I think I saw bits of both legs against Tottenham. I don't think he scored in either game, did he? But he looked quite sharp. And um, he's, you know, he's, he clearly has something about him. All the kind of tactical analyses that our guys have done and that I've read into him does seem to indicate that he feels like a Jurgen Klopp type of player. Uh, and in many ways, you know, bringing someone like him in who would is clearly desperate for you know, the next step up in his career, it's not a like-for-like -like replacement. We're not expecting Liverpool to lose any of their dynamic front three of, of Mane, Salah and Firmino at the moment. So whereas, some, obviously, we all, we've all been saying for quite some time that Liverpool need top-quality backup. People often say, well, the danger of getting bringing top quality back up is, yeah, but if they're not going to play all the time, how do you attract them to come? Werner seems to take a lot of boxes and that you get the impression he would, wouldn't would necessarily object to coming and, and maybe playing 20, 25 games and playing second fiddle for a season or two until the time comes to, want to move one of those big three on. But um, I just hope once it gets started, that you know, the first few games will be weird for everybody involved, the players, the managers, and for us as spectators, you know, watching in Germany, watching their own teams in Germany, and for us in, the, you know, in a global sense, just watching other games. But I hope that once the, that initial strangeness wears off, the players are able to kind of get used to the surroundings and get their heads around playing in an empty stadium and do themselves justice on the pitch and provide entertainment and enjoyment, which ultimately is what football's all about and what we're all kind of really desperate to see. Yeah, I suppose there will, though, Theo, inevitably be those eyes on Timo Werner. And as Dan says, over the last, especially over the last few weeks, actually, ever since that uh, away leg, the first leg against Tottenham in the Champions League, where straight after the game, he basically came out and said, if I, if I were to move to Liverpool, I'd be ready to sort of bide my time. He really seems to be on the charm offensive. And now I suppose it's time to walk the walk. Well, with um, Timo Werner on the charm offensive thing, it was the, the transfer release clause. It was supposed to be expiring, wasn't it, at the end of April? And then it sort of changed as we've gone along. So it was like, oh, now it's mid-June. And now I think the report's saying, 
oh, the 52 million, it's actually 44 if they don't win the league, which they're not going to, let's be honest. It's Germany. Bayern Munich always win the league there. Um, but he's sort of dips, I think, in form. I'm right in saying since he's first started this really big charm offensive of wanting to come to Liverpool, as though his head's already been turned. Uh, Leipzig are going to qualify for the Champions League. They're not going to go and win the tournament this year. He's now just waiting for his next big move. And then all this has happened. So he's sort of going to have to go again. And when like the whole continent, let's be honest, are going to be watching the Bundesliga when it resumes, Leipzig are going to be one of the teams that people want to watch. They're one of the best, most attractive teams to watch in that division. And as the star man, as the star striker, you're expecting to see him deliver straight away and get the goals. There's a reason why the clubs are sniffing around him, why he's been linked to Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, Inter Milan, Barcelona, and why he's going to cost like £50 million, which sounds like a lot of money regardless for a striker. But it's a release clause, um, and the way the market's changed depends how much that is actually going to be a goer now. But he is a top talent. He's the number nine for Germany, for goodness sake. Obviously, he's now got to prove why there is this attention and that he could make that step up to one of the best teams in Europe, which is the movie he clearly desires. Yeah, Gorsty, I don't know how you keep a track of Timo Werner's release clause because it seems to to change on a daily basis, as as Theo says. But I think I'm right in saying he was due to actually be out of contract this summer, was he not? And then he signed that extension at the beginning of, uh, in August, July, whenever it was in the summer, almost as a gesture of goodwill to Leipzig for helping develop him and give him the platform for displaying his talents. Yet now, as Theo says, the changing transfer market might actually see... We, we don't know, him priced out of a move if that release clause were to be around sort of 50 million or so. Yeah, I think, you know, in a normal summer, you'd look at that and think that's pretty good value. I mean, it's, it's the going right now for the top player, isn't it? 50 million and upwards. So after the summer where Liverpool didn't really spend much, he only brought in Harvey Elliott and Seth Vandenberg last season for, for, for money. And obviously Adrian was a free transfer Liverpool um, would be well placed to, to basically, you know, make Timo Werner the big marquee signing. But so much has changed because of the situation, the transfer market. We don't really know how that's going to look. We don't know when football is going to return. Never mind how a how a summer transfer window might look. The uh, facts and figures are all obviously kept in house. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I think if there's a deal to be done, Liverpool will will do their utmost to do it. And we saw that. Liverpool struck an unusual one with RB Leipzig to land Naby Keita, didn't they? They essentially agreed that a year before he joined after having three bids rejected earlier in the summer. So I think uh, Michael Edwards will um, will will be speaking to, to Leipzig and kind of thrashing out a, an agreeable situation for all considered. Um, how that manifests itself, I'm not sure yet. But I think the interest will still be there for Liverpool. It's just a case of whether... The um, you know the the money will kind of be right for, for both clubs at this this uh, unusual point in history. So uh, we'll wait and see. But um, there's no doubt Liverpool do uh, have an interest there, and, and it is someone that they're keen on. Yeah, well, before we, we go then here on the, the Blood Red podcast for this edition, we're going to look through a few anniversaries and. Uh, dates that are coming up over today and, and the course of the weekend that might sort of just prick the attention of a few Reds fans. And Dan, you've already mentioned VE Day today. And I suppose we, we best start really with, I think I'm right in saying, if my maths is correct, 81 years ago today that Liverpool signed a certain Bob Paisley. That's right. Uh, he was only a youngster brought in from Bishop Auckland in his native northeast at the time. 
obviously right at the end of the 38-39 season, being in, in early May. But it actually ended up being se- uh, seven years until he was able to make his, 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 his proper debut for Liverpool because obviously World War II broke out uh, at the start of September. Uh, as has been well documented, Bob went off to serve in the Desert Rats and there was a lovely... Um, when, where he obviously was the first Liverpool manager to win the European Cup in Rome in 1977. And he took great delight in telling everybody that the, when he arrived in the Italian capital for the big match against Borussia Mönchengladbach, that the last time he, he turned up there, he was on a tank. So, um, yeah, it was, it's, it, was, it was a big day in Liverpool's history because Bob went on to be you know, a, a very, very fine player, a tigerish midfielder by all accounts, but, and then uh, a very effective coach under Bill Shankly. And then arguably the most successful English manager in the history of the game, taking over from Shankly, uh, winning 19 trophies in nine seasons, including three European Cups, while at the same time being not, you know, couldn't really have been far more removed from Shankly as a character. He wasn't a great orator. He stumbled over his words. Half the time, the players of his era will tell you they didn't, they didn't, he didn't exactly make himself clear in team talks, but he had an unbelievable knowledge and understanding of the game of football. And he was able to impart that to his players, to his squad. And that's why, yeah, I, I always kind of say, you know, the true measure of greatness is not some, is as much as what happens after you leave as what you do while you're there. And the fact that um, Bob was able to carry on from, from Bill Shankly and not just maintain, but actually develop that success. But also after Bob stepped down as manager in 1983, Liverpool was still the dominant force in English football for the rest of that decade, by and large. I think says everything about his impact um, on the club, and you know, as long as as long as there is a Liverpool football club, the name of Bob Paisley will, will quite rightly always be revered and and uh, and mentioned in the highest and most glowing terms. Um, couple of, a more a more recent one that I think some of you know, the lads here may well remember. Uh, tomorrow is the anniversary of Maxi Rodriguez's hat trick in a five-two route at Fulham, which was. Just towards the end of that uh, season, when Kenny Dalglish took over in January from Roy Hodgson, and uh, it, it was the start. It was in the midst, really, of a, a, a real purple patch of goals that Maxi had. He was brought in by by um, Rafa Benitez, and I think I'm, I think I'm right in saying I don't think he actually ever even scored a goal under Rafa's management. He got but one. Once, did, did he get one? There you go. I knew I knew Theo would be bang on the money, but but he really started to kind of hit his straps under under Kenny. Um, and and this was a real, uh, a real productive time for him in front of goal. You mentioned. No, I was going to say you mentioned Sir Kenny Dalglish there, and of course, yeah, the the, the role Maxi Rodriguez played under him, but also, I think it's Sunday, is it marks the uh, the anniversary of the eighty seven, uh, so, sorry, seventy eight European Cup win, which of course Sir Kenny Dalglish scored in at the end of what was his first season. Well, it was, um, you know, I was only just about to turn one, so I can't say I remember it too well. But um, Liverpool had only won Old Big Ears for the first time 12 months before. So to then actually go and retain it a year later, um, I think really very much placed Liverpool on the, on the European map. It was the, the perfect end to the, for Kenny's maiden season at Anfield, and it was a magnificent goal. Um, I remember for years and years, whenever my dad, who was an Evertonian actually, would, would see that type of goal, he would say, well, there's that Dalglish chip again. Uh, it, was a lovely little, it, was, it was a tight game, but, but Bruges weren't, you know, Bruges were in the final on merit. I think they might have knocked Juventus out on the way on the way there. 
but they were played very defensively. I think about 90,000 of the 100,000 inside Wembley were Liverpoolians. And Liverpool struggled to break them down. So, you, know, you didn't create too many clear-cut chances. Then with about 20 minutes before the end, Graham Souness also in his first season at Anfield, slipped a lovely little slide rule pass through um, with the goalkeeper uh, advancing on him. Kenny just chipped it over him into the net. And it was the, the 10th of May, which again is the Sunday anniversary, is, a, is another key day in terms of Dalglish's history with Liverpool because that was the day of the, the first All Merseyside FA Cup final in 1986. And that is something that I do remember very, very well. I was nearly nine. Um, Everton had won the league the year before. Liverpool and Everton, I think it's fair to say, were without doubt the best two teams in Europe at that time. Unfortunately, they weren't able to prove it because of the ban, the Heysel ban, which had been put into place a year before. But it was the it was it was like a fairy tale end, really, to, to Kenny's maiden season as as player manager because couldn't really have taken over in in worse circumstances the day after Heysel. Um, you know, the eyes of the world looking upon the club in, in the, you know the most negative of senses. And yeah, and he was only a young man himself, 35, 35, 36, I think. But um Liverpool had a bit of an up and down season and Everton had a great side. The side that had won two trophies the year before and could have won a treble if they had been beaten in the FA Cup final. The two sides were neck and neck for the league. Uh, and the week before, Dalglish had scored the volley at Chelsea that clinched the championship. And then um, a week later, the first, as I say, the first ever all Merseyside FA Cup final at Wembley. We had the Milk Cup two years before. Liverpool were a goal down at half time and not playing well. Gary Lineker had put Everton in front with his 40th goal of the season. But as, as great teams often do, they dig deep when they really have to and came on strong in the second half. And uh, two goals from Ian Rush and one from Greg Johnston sealed a 3-1 win. And I've always said and thought, if I, had a, if I had a Doctor Who's TARDIS or a time machine, and if I could go back to one match in Liverpool's history that I wasn't at to be present at, I think that would be the one. That is a great topic for us to perhaps get into on, on another pod. But Gorsty, this weekend, we, we've already said, was meant to be the weekend that... Liverpool got their hands on the Premier League trophy for the first time, the first league title in 30 years. But it's great when you can look back through Liverpool's rich, rich history. And I mean, we've been talking even just about scratching the surface of a few of those anniversaries that there just are so many littered throughout this this time of the year for the Reds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there was a famous book, wasn't there? We go gathering trophies in May and... That's what Liverpool, what Liverpool have traditionally done. 18 league titles, you know, six European Cups, all all lifted in May. So, uh, well, the, the last year's Champions team. League was June 1st, <laughs> of course. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that's why it's, it's so um, so frustrating that a, an entire generation of, of a new wave of fans almost haven't uh, been given the, the chance to, to celebrate the league triumph for their own because they've been raised and reared on, on stories from the the grandparents from the mothers and the fathers of how it is to, to win the cup and the buzz around the city um, so yeah I mean it, it's a real shame that they haven't been able to add to that but uh, I'm sure it's it's coming um, I think the title number 19 will be won with or without fans this season and then uh, Jürgen Klopp's team are well placed to go and make it uh, number 20 next season so um, I'm sure brighter days are ahead as much as we can look back on all the uh, the, the trophy-laden history of Liverpool, it's, uh, the, the future's just as bright, I think. Makes it a bit ironic, doesn't it? Like, we're talking about May and all these anniversaries. This is supposed to be the year that Liverpool won the league before anyone else and quickest ever. And while they will in terms of fixtures, it's going to be however much later. Um, yeah. All this Good time, we've been waiting for Liverpool to 
win it and think, oh, go invincible, do all this. And now you just want to see them get their hands on the trophy. It doesn't matter when it is, how they do it, as long as it's won and we can celebrate this season when we're finally allowed out to celebrate it. Because this Liverpool team, um, granted we've spoken about um, the one in the late 70s, the, the team Dalglish put together in 87-88, but I reckon this one's the best. It's the most dominant, isn't it? It's so likeable, and you're looking through it, world-class player, world-class player, world-class player. And it's a shame that they've not been able to steamroll their way to that success and they've had the momentum broken up by everything that's going on at the moment, considering that this success has been building for two, three years now and they're just getting better and better. Hopefully they can just carry on that momentum and win this team. It's all at the peak, isn't it? I think it's only Milner, Wijnaldum, Henderson, Lovren that are 30 or over or pushing 30 at least. And they can just carry on for the next few years. And this can just be the start for the mm. Liverpool generation of supporters to see another great dominant era. So if we're doing this podcast in 20 years' time, we can go through another load of anniversaries in May and June saying, oh, Klopp's team won this, that and the other. July and August possibly for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly could be the case. Well, there's been golden days in the past, bright ones ahead too. Gentlemen, thanks a lot for joining us for the latest instalment of the Blood Red podcast here from the Liverpool Echo. If you're watching us on YouTube, do leave us a comment in the section below. We would like to, to hear from you and wherever you get your audio on demand as well. If you can leave us a rating and review as well, that always much, much appreciated. Thanks to you for listening in. That's why we obviously continue to provide you with these Blood Red podcasts. It's great fun to do them as well. But until next time, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.